Welcome to the Social Dallas Podcast. Today you'll hear an uplifting message from our pastor, Robert Madu. Our hope is that your relationship with God would flourish like never before. I want to go straight to the Word of God, and I hope you feel like hearing it like I feel like preaching it. I want you to go with me to the Gospel of Matthew today. Matthew chapter number 2. Matthew chapter 2, we're going to read a few verses there, and then we're going to go to the gospel according to Mark chapter number 10. If you don't mind, I know you just got comfortable, but uh, just stand real quick to honor the reading of God's word. Matthew chapter 2, and then we'll look at Mark chapter 10. When you're ready to read it, say, yeah, yeah. If you're not ready and you need a little time to find it, say, hold up. I heard that. Hold up. (laughs) I'm going to wait for you. I'm going to wait for you. Matthew, the first book of the New Testament. If you see in Ephesians, you went too far. If you're in Genesis, you ain't been to church in a long time. But that's cool. There's no condemnation. We even going to put it on the screen for you. Matthew chapter number two. Look at what it says. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem saying, where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. Verse 11 says, in going into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell down and worshiped him. Then, opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. Can you say amen? And then we're going to fast forward. That was baby Jesus. Let's fast forward a little bit to full-grown Jesus. And look at Mark chapter 10, although this is also found in Matthew chapter 19 and Luke chapter 18. And it says, as Jesus started on his way, a man ran up to him and fell on his knees before him. He's grown, but people are still falling before him. He said, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good? Jesus answered. Classic Jesus. Sometimes you ask Jesus a question, he ain't going to give you an answer. He's going to hit you with another question. And maybe sometimes give you a story that'll make you scratch your head and say, what you talking about? He says, why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony. You shall not defraud. Honor your father and mother. Teacher, he declared, all these I have kept since I was a young boy. And Jesus looked at him and loved him. One thing you lack, he said, go sell everything you have and give it to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. At this, the man's face fell. He went away sad because he had great wealth. Can you say amen? Amen. I 
feel like preaching this today. And I so appreciate those of you who have come prepared today as we continue to be a church that operates in generosity. And at the end of the service, we're going to be receiving our general tithe and offering, but also our one-day offering. But I am really drawn into verse number 21. It says, Jesus looked at him and loved him and said, one thing you lack. One thing you lack. Somebody say, one thing. Yeah, that's what I want to talk to you today for about six and a half hours from this thought. One thing. One thing. Look at your neighbor one more time and look them right in their eyeballs and just say, neighbor, don't forget the one thing. Come on, find another neighbor, especially if that neighbor wasn't friendly. Come on. Say, other neighbor, it's always about that one thing. And if you got expectation for God to speak, give him a praise in advance on it. Come on, in advance on it. Father, speak today. Amen. You may be seated in the presence of the Lord. One thing. As we come to the conclusion of 2022, and really the conclusion of our time here at the Toyota Music Factory, it occurred to me uh, that we've been in the Toyota Music Factory, what, three weeks now, and we have yet to play, ooh, finish the lyrics. I mean, come on, this is Toyota Music Factory. And some of y'all didn't really appreciate the Willy Wonka video, so you need to wake up a little bit. And uh, I think we ought to play just a quick little game of finish the lyrics. You know this game. I'm going to play a song and then we're going to cut the song off, and I want to see if you know the rest of the lyrics. Are you down for this? Let's, let's just do it. DJ, you ready? Some of y'all were worshiping louder then than you were earlier. Walked right into it, uh-huh. Mariah ain't the Messiah. You ought to give God a better praise. Oh, I don't want to sound like the Grinch today. I, I don't want to hate on Sister Mariah. Um, I, I love that song. I love that song. It has been a quintessential Christmas classic since 1994. And as evidenced by you, it is still a hit today. Everybody knows the lyrics to All I Want for Christmas is You. In fact, in my mind, it's really not Christmas until somebody starts singing that little song right there. And I, I want to take issue with that song today. I want to take issue with that song. Some of y'all going to be mad. Don't write me an email. Because you were singing it, ooh, but I don't think you believe it. You don't believe, no, nobody really believes that song. Uh, for real, you don't care about the presents. 
underneath the tree. You, you don't care nothing about the, all you want for Christmas is whoever, who is, you is, that boo, that's all you care about. I, I don't believe it. And I don't think that's right because I think you should sing what you mean and mean what you sing. What do you mean? You don't care about none of the presents underneath the Christmas tree this year. I don't believe you. As a matter of fact, I'm going to do something today and I hope it goes viral. I'm going to start something this year. I'm going to start something this year and I'm going to call it the hashtag all I want is you Christmas challenge. I think we should put these lyrics to the test. Since 1994, everybody's been saying, I don't care about the presents underneath the tree. I want to put the lyrics to the test this year. I'm going to do it. You can join me. Let me tell you what I'm going to do. Taylor's in here. She's going to find this out later. I'm going to do this. It's going to mess my kids up. I am putting these lyrics to the test this year. I promise you, this Christmas, I'm going to get a box. And you can do it too. Proportionate to your body mass. I'm going to get a good old box and I'm going to get that box wrapped. It's going to be beautiful. It's going to look amazing. It is going to be the only box underneath the Christmas tree tree this year. The only box is going to have a big old bow on it. It's going to have a little hole in the box too, in the back because I ain't trying to die uh, <laughs> on this challenge. And I'm going to get inside of this box. True story. I'm going to be wrapped underneath the Christmas tree. This will be the only gift under the tree this year. And it's going to have a little, little note on the tree. And when my kids and Taylor wake up on Christmas morning. I want them to go to that big old box with me crouched down inside of the box. And it's going to have a little note on the box. A note is going to read like this. Mm, uh, family, I noticed you've been singing a lot of Mariah this year. So I want to put it to the test. You said you don't care about the presents underneath the Christmas tree. Well, guess what? This is the only present you're going to get this year. This is the best that I could do. Please open it with joy. And when they open up that box, I'm just going to pop out the box and go, Merry Christmas! This is the gift. You said all I want for Christmas is you. Here it is right here. I am the gift. And I cannot wait to see the surprise, the shock that's going to be on my kids' face. I can't wait to see them with the attitude. Tell my daddy, are you for real? What are you talking about? We, we were just playing. We don't want just you. And that's why I'm going to throw Mariah's lyrics right back at them. Oh, you don't want just me? You don't think you got a gift? You don't see all the lights are shining? So brightly in the air, I paid this light bill. Isn't that not gift enough for you? Look at me, I'm enough. Come on, y'all, let's be honest. <laughs> you, you, you want some gifts underneath the Christmas tree. I know we sing that little song, All I Want for Christmas is You, but that is not the reality. In fact, the National Retail Federation will tell you this, that they estimate that Americans will spend 942, between 942 and 960 billion dollars during this holiday season, with sales predicted to jump somewhere between six and eight percent. A nerd wallet, wallet survey and analysts reported that nearly 217 million Americans, that's 84 percent, plan to buy gifts for their friends and loved ones this holiday season, and that the 2022 holiday shoppers plan to spend, hear me, on average $823 for a total of more than a hundred and $78 billion in gift spending. Ooh. All I want for Christmas is you. I don't care about the gifts underneath the tree. Oh no. A another study, another study found that gift giving also comes with big debt for Americans citing that 31% of 2021 holiday shoppers who used a credit card to pay for their gifts still haven't paid off their balances from last year. What in the world? 
would make somebody go into debt trying to give somebody a gift? Is it the commercialization of Christmas? Is it that our world has become enchanted with the spirit of generosity and we just want to reflect Christ and as Christ gave us gifts, we want to give gifts? Eh, maybe. But what is it that makes us during this season to say, no, you is not enough. I want to express my love through a gift. What, what, what makes us do it? I actually want to pose a different thought today that I would actually argue that many of us are quick to give gifts because it's actually easier to give somebody a gift from you than to actually give them you. It is way easier to give somebody a present than to give them the gift of your presence. Oh, anybody can get a gift. Some of y'all, you have mastered this. You can master the art of re-gift. <laughs> you got gifts for your haters because somebody gave you something you didn't want. And it, oh, anybody can give you a gift, but to give the gift of you to actually give yourself, to give your presence to somebody, oh, that takes work. That is difficult to do, to actually be present in a moment, to be present with somebody, to be fully engaged with somebody. That is difficult for people to do. As a matter of fact, how many know there's a difference between being physically present and actually being present? Oh, come on, we're, I know you're physically present in a lot of places, but when was the last time that you were actually there for real? When was the last time you were there but you weren't scrolling or thinking about something else? As a matter of fact, I'm glad y'all here today. I'm, I'm so glad y'all came to Toy the Music Factory, but I'm also fully aware that some of you ain't really here. You are here, but you are somewhere else. You are thinking about what happened last week. You're thinking about what you got to do at work tomorrow. And although you are here, your presence, your full engagement is not really here. I may as well be up here talking about... Because although you are here, you are not really here. And I think the most difficult gift to give somebody is not a present, but to give them your actual presence to be fully engaged and to hear them and to listen to them and to feel what they're feeling and to know what they're going through. That right there, it takes work, it takes effort, it takes intentionality, it takes focus. Anybody can give a gift, but it's a whole nother thing to give you. And this is what I love about the holiday season. This is what Christmas should remind us of, is that we serve a God that did not just give us gifts, but he gave us himself. That is the beauty of what Jesus did. How many know, yes, he gave us gifts, and I'm thankful for every gift that our God has given us. How many know, if we pause today and started listing all the gifts that our God has given us, whoo, we would be here all service, just thinking about the gifts that God in his grace that God and his generosity just gave you. This is why your God is the king of generosity because he gives gifts to people that don't even acknowledge his lordship. He gives gifts to people that don't even acknowledge that he is the creator of the universe. Oh, it couldn't have been me. If I was God, I would not give you no gift if you didn't believe in who I was. But look at the generosity of your God. 
everything he gives you is a gift even to the people who don't acknowledge him as savior that breath you just took that was a gift from God the fact that your heart is still beating that is a gift from God the fact that you can taste food is a gift from God the fact that your brain is working is a gift from God the fact that you walked in here or rolled in here today that is a gift from God the fact that you can see in color that is a gift from God everything that you have is a gift from a generous and a gracious God thank God that he's so generous that he just lavishes his gifts on humanity and yet he knew that a sunset which is a gift and that creation which is a gift none of that could redeem us he had to give us himself he had to come down from heaven to earth and live the life that we were supposed to live and die the death that we were supposed to die. He had to give us the gift of his presence. This is why Christmas is really in one sentence in John chapter 1. It says, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. That is the beauty of Christmas that is the gift of the incarnation is that God did not just give us gifts he gave us himself he gave us his presence and hear me the way you respond to the gift of his presence has the power to affect your present your past and your future I'm gonna rewind that and give it to you again the way you respond to the gift of his presence has the power to affect your present, your past, and your future. It is all about how you respond to his presence. It'll affect what you're going through right now, it'll affect your past, and it'll affect your future. Brings me to my text today. I wanna to do something today that I don't know that I've seen a preacher do today. I want to compare and contrast two passages of scripture today, the two passages that we read. I want to compare and contrast the rich young ruler that we read about in Mark chapter 10 and the wise man that we read about in Matthew chapter 2. I want to compare contrast these two groups of people. And I want to pause right here and let you know that throughout your Bible, especially in the Gospels, there are certain individuals that although you're reading about their lives, the Bible is actually giving you blues clues within the text to compare contrast their lives. That if you just read one story, yes, you'll get power out of the story. But if you actually read it in its context, the Bible actually put it there for you to compare contrast the two individuals. For, for example, you remember Mark chapter five, we're introduced to Jairus's daughter. Remember Jairus's daughter who was sick and then there was a crazy woman who was relentless in her passionate pursuit, who had an issue of blood. Remember how Mark puts those two stories together? The reason he put those two stories together is because you're supposed to compare and contrast Jairus's daughter with this woman who had an issue of blood because remember the girl was 12 years old and this woman had the issue of blood for 12 years he's trying to get you to compare and contrast these two individuals and how they responded to the gift of the presence of God remember Jairus is the one who's the pastor he's the one that has the prestige he's the one that has the notoriety but remember the woman with the issue of blood we don't even 
forget her name. Nobody even tells us what her name is. She is the one who has been alienated. She is the one who has been ostracized. And Jesus is on his way to heal Jairus' daughter. But there was something about him being on his way to heal that little girl that was 12 years old that allowed him to get interrupted by this woman who said, enough is enough. I've already lost so much. What else do I have to lose? And she pressed her way through a cross. She broke the rules. She wasn't even supposed to be out in public. But how many know sometimes you'll get desperate enough for a miracle that you'll break some rules. You'll do something that's out of your character. You'll do something out of the ordinary. And she pressed her way. And isn't it crazy that the one that was nameless pressed her way through the crowd and she got the healing before the little girl got the healing. Yes, Jesus had the power and he healed both of them. But I'm thankful for the one that was nameless, that was relentless enough to interrupt his schedule and she got the breakthrough and you're supposed to compare and contrast the two. Oh, I hope I don't bore you today. But it's another one in John chapter 3 and John chapter 4. You're supposed to compare and contrast Nicodemus ooh, and the woman at the well. You're supposed to compare and contrast. You know, you're supposed to put them together. You know Nicodemus. Nicodemus, he came to Jesus at night, but not Sister Girl. Sister Girl met Jesus in the daytime. And the reason John put them together is because you're supposed to compare and contrast their life. You know Nicodemus, he was a Pharisee. He had the prestige. He had the power. But once again, we don't even know what Sister Girl's name was. All we know is that she had a shady, ratchet past, and she had five husbands. Nicodemus is self-righteous. This girl is so ratchet. You're supposed to compare and contrast them too. And isn't it interesting that Nicodemus had to find Jesus. He had to sneak and go to Jesus at night but not sister girl. She had an appointment with Jesus that she didn't even know was set up. He sat on a well and waited for her to come. What are you trying to say in these two stories? I'm trying to say sometimes it's what you don't have that unlocks the door for you to get what you need from God. Never be ashamed of the things that you lack or the things that you don't have because sometimes it's the underdog. Sometimes it's the one that's been overlooked. Sometimes it's the one that nobody else sees that actually gets God's attention and says you're the one that's going to get the miracle. The one that doesn't have the blue check. The one that doesn't have the followers. The one that doesn't have the fame. Those are the ones that get God's attention. Oh, y'all too bougie to give God praise on that right there. But I wish I had some people that have been overlooked, that got some things that you lack, but know that that doesn't disqualify you from getting a miracle from God because God will often go to the ones that everybody else has overlooked. God will often set up an appointment with the very ones who are broke. In fact, I think when you come to God, you got to come broke. Broke. Some of y'all like, well, praise him. Have you seen my bank account? <laughs> I'm not just talking about your bank account. I'm talking about your posture. See, some people miss out on a miracle because you got too much. You got too much swag. You, you don't need him. You don't need him. There's some people, there's some people who, I'll wait before I invite you to church. Because I can tell you got too much swag to really come. Yeah, I, I, I want to invite you sometimes when you just got the raise and you just won the lottery and you got the, no, 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 I, I wait for that day when you're like, <laughs> when your bottom lip starts quivering. Yeah, that's when I like to drop the invite. And you, and you start asking, hey, hey, uh, uh, where, where you say y'all meet at? Where's social at? At Toyota where? 
Because when you come to him, you cannot come in pride. You, can, you cannot come with arrogance and think that you got all the answers and that you know what you need. You have to come to him poor. You have to come to him lowly. So I want to compare and contrast the rich young ruler and the wise men. What intrigues me as we begin the compare and contrast is what is blatantly obvious about them is uh, they aren't broke. <laughs> They're rich. How many of you know the three wise men? Ooh, rich. How many of you know the rich young ruler? Rich. Both of them have wealth. It's blatantly obvious in the text. You don't even have to know Greek or Hebrew to know they got paper. They balling. You don't got to know Greek or Hebrew. You just got to be able to read. I give you three reasons I know the wise men were rich. Gold, <laughs> frankincense, and myrrh. They didn't get that at Walgreens. Okay. They got money. I can give you three reasons the rich young ruler is rich. The text tells you he's a rich, <laughs> young ruler. They, they have money. They have resources. They have a lot. And so it's worth talking about today because I think God will always ask us, what are you doing with your resources? What are you doing with what's in your hand? Who, you want to talk about one thing? If there's one thing that people don't want the church to talk about, how many you know it's money? Actually, probably sex and money, but money is right there at the top of the list, which is funny because what most people struggle with is their sexuality and money. Isn't it funny the thing that they don't want nobody to talk about? <laughs> it's what most people are struggling with. But oh, I'm telling you, you've been around church any amount of time. They don't want you to say nothing about money. Stay out of my bedroom and stay out of my bank account. That's my business. And rightfully so. And let's, let, let's be honest. Part of the problem is preachers. Part of the problem is preachers because let, let's be honest. There have been some preachers and some ministries who have done egregious things with resources and finances. Oh, let me let you know right now and even apologize to those of you who've experienced some of the ridiculous, idiotic things that have happened in church as it relates to money and finances. Crazy, stupid things. Taking scriptures out of context, saying this is the amount you're supposed to sow. Crazy, stupid things. Not having financial integrity. Crazy things. And if I'm honest, sometimes I'm like, whoo, I don't even want to talk about it. I don't even want to preach about money. The, the problem is, I'm called to preach about everything Jesus talked about. And Jesus talked about money more than he talked about faith, more than he talked about prayer. And so because I got to preach what Jesus preached, I have to talk about resources. And sometimes I wonder if our agitation with the church talking about money is not just because people have had a lack of integrity. I wonder if part of the reason we get a little agitated when people start talking about money is because we don't like people messing with our idols. We don't like people talking about things that we love. And the Bible is clear that, that money has a power that other things do not have. 
money is in a category all by itself. Do your research when you get home. You'll see that most of the parables that Jesus preached on, he would use the illustration of money and resources, always trying to get us to understand that everything you have belongs to him, that you are not an owner of anything. You are a steward of everything. You don't own anything. Trying to get you to understand that just because it's in your hand doesn't mean it's yours. That that's what it is. That that's what, that's what the tithe is. That's what trusting God with the tithe is. Tenth, ten percent. Ten is a test to say, God, whoo, okay, oh, I got this. But am I going to master this or is this going to master me? Am I going to control this or is this going to control me? And the hardest thing to do is to trust God with your wealth, with your resources. Come on, that's why the government don't even trust you. They take, they tithe, tax, before it ever hits your paycheck. Because they know that money has a different power. And when Jesus is teaching and he gives the amazing sermon on the mountain, he starts talking about money. He says, oh, store it for yourself treasures, not on earth, but in heaven. Store it up in heaven. He says, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. That if I really want to know what you care about, if I really want to know what you love, just show me your bank account. And I'll know whether it's Zara DoorDash or Gucci. I will know what you care about by where your money is. He goes on to say that you cannot serve two masters. You cannot serve both God and money. Think about that for a second. He doesn't say you can't serve God and the cowboys. He doesn't say you can't serve God and sex. He, he puts money on the level of God because that is the power that it has. Ooh, money is funny. Money is interesting. Money ooh, will change you. Oh, not me. I love the Lord. Okay. <laughs> if you're not aware of money's power to change you, I dare say you've already been captured by the power of money. It is in a category all by itself. Greed is in a category all by itself. That's why God is always trying to get us, stretching us in our faith and generosity because greed is one of those sins that you don't really know when you've crossed over to it. Come on, think about that. You know when you lied. You know when you lied. You know when you cheated. Come on. You, you know when you committed adultery. Nobody has accidentally committed adultery. Nobody said, oh, hold up. I didn't know. I didn't know you weren't my... I didn't, no. Never happened. You know. But greed is different. Because how do you know? How do you know when you're greedy? What's the number? Is it three pair of shoes? Ten? Is it four golf clubs? Or six? Is it eight trips? Or two? What? Give me the number. How do you know? Because money has the power to become your master. And it's so interesting that if we compare and contrast the rich young ruler and the wise men, the first thing we find out is they actually had resources. They had wealth. They had what so many people in this culture 
are fighting for the position, the power, and the possessions. And the reason money is different, and the reason that God often talked about it, because money has the power for you to find your identity and your security in it. And coincidentally, God wants you to find your identity and your security in Him. And there's nothing like money that will make you find your identity and your security in it by how much you have. And so many of us have bought into the cultural lie and the myth that my net worth determines my self-worth. That I'm valuable because I have valuables. And so God will often stretch us, not just in our love, not just in serving him, but with our resources. And I find it intriguing that if we compare and contrast them, they both had it. The wise men had the money, and the rich young ruler had the money. And here's what blows my mind. They had the money, they had the position, they had the power, and yet they both found themselves seeking after God. They had the thing that so many of us are fighting for, and yet both of them found themselves seeking after God. This lets me know that there's not enough money that can fulfill the void that is inside your soul. Oh, that lets me know you can be balling, you can be a millionaire, and you can be a billionaire, but that doesn't find you, find you peace, that can't buy you joy, that can't buy you security, that there was still something in the wise man and there was still something in the rich young ruler that in spite of their bank accounts, they still were seeking after Jesus, they still were looking for him, don't get it twisted, Jesus didn't come after the rich young ruler and Jesus didn't come after the wise man, both of them that had money in the bank found themselves searching for a God, found themselves saying there's got to be more to life than this, they both were seeking King. Oh, that lets me know that no matter how much money you have, you'll still find yourself seeking after God. Both of them were looking for the signs to see where can I find them. The wise men were looking at the stars going, okay, I've never seen a star shine like that. That has to be a sign. That has to be a sign for me to seek him. I don't know what sermon the rich young ruler heard, but I got the strange suspicion that he heard Jesus preaching and never had he heard anybody speak like this man. I got the strange suspicion that he heard the rumors about this man named Jesus who was healing people who was casting out demons, who was multiplying fish and bread, who was doing the miraculous, and all those rumors caused him to start seeking and start searching. And this is what I love about life, is that God will often give you signs for you to seek him. I know we always talk about God seeking after you, and he leaves the 99, and he does. But sometimes God will just give you a sign that you need to seek him. Sometimes God won't come after you, but he will drop his pen location. <laughs> Say, if you really want it, come over here. And sometimes you get close to the spot, he'll move. Because <laughs> he wants you to seek. And then you'll get closer, and he'll move again. Not because he's playing games with you, but he wants you to pursue him. He wants you to chase after him. Because how many of you know, those that seek will ultimately find. Those that chase after him, come on somebody, you will be fulfilled. Ooh, 
I don't know who this is for today, but somebody got a sign, and that's why you're seeking him right now. That's why you're in church today, because there was some sign that he dropped, and you said, God, I got to seek after you. Both of them came seeking, and both of them, the rich young ruler and the wise men, when they were seeking, and when they found him, notice the first thing they did. They both fell at his feet. Money in their accounts, all kinds of wealth and accolades, had the position, the power, and the possessions. But in the presence of Jesus, their first reaction was, can I tell you, when you get in the true presence of God, you don't come in his presence with your chest out. You don't come in his presence thinking you got it all together. There's something about his presence that will make you get on your knees and say, God, you are the king of the universe. God, you are the one who sits on the throne. God, you are the one who rules and reigns. God, you are sovereign. They fell at his feet. Both of them found themselves at the feet of Jesus. But if we're comparing and contrasting, one of the things that is blatantly obvious is that they were looking at different sized feet Wise men, looking at little baby feet. The rich young ruler, looking at big old, I think Jesus was like size 13 at least, just in my mind. Come on, a savior with little feet? I don't believe it. <laughs> the rich young ruler is looking at size 13, hairy, dusty, dirty <laughs> feet. <laughs> if I can pick. I'm going to go with baby feet, Jesus. I mean, have you seen a baby's feet? Woo! Just want to eat them. If I can pick, I'm always going to fall on his feet, but if I can pick the feet that I fall at, I want to fall on baby feet. Matter of fact, I think that's what separates the wise men worship from rich young ruler worship. Because have you been around a baby? Whenever you're in the presence of a baby, there's really not much for you to do except for adore the baby. Oh, I'm so thankful that Jesus did not come from heaven to earth full grown, looking like the rock or Vin Diesel. I want to thank God that the creator of the universe wrapped himself in the womb of a virgin named Mary and came as a baby. The God that spoke the world into existence. The God that was so holy that there was a veil that separated us from his presence in the temple. The God that the heavens could not contain chose to come as a baby. And the beauty of a baby is there's nothing you can do in the presence of a baby except for adore it. You can't ask a baby for anything. You can't tell a baby to do anything for you. If you're in the presence of a baby, please understand that that baby is not there to serve you. You are there to serve it. 
oh, see, we don't like this. We don't want baby Jesus who we just come in his presence and adore him. Many of us don't know how to say, oh, come let us adore him. When you adore him, he just has your adoration. When you adore him, you're not asking anything from him. When you adore him, you don't need a praise and worship team to tell you to lift up your hands because you were lifting up your hands while you were driving on the way to church. You were lifting up your hands while you were walking in. There's something about adoration. Many of us don't know how to just come and adore him and just gaze in the beauty of our beautiful Savior. Many of us are so quick to ask. And we skip adoring. But the beauty of the wise men's worship is they had nothing to do but just go. Look at him. He was worth the trip. They just adored the rich young ruler, he was sincere. He started off in the right position, but because this is full-grown Jesus, after he got up, it just went downhill from there. Here comes the stupid statement. <laughs> He's finished his worship. Ah, uh, good teacher. What must I do? What must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus starts jacking this dude up right after he finishes speaking. See, sometimes your approach to Jesus will determine his response. I'm thankful that you came to Jesus. You should come to him. But it's not just coming. It's how you come sometimes that determines what you're going to receive and what you're going to get. He comes to Jesus and says, oh, good teacher, what must I do? to inherit eternal life. And Jesus jacks him up from the get-go. He goes, why you call me good? No, why you call me good? Nobody's good but God. And that messed me up. Because uh, Jesus, hello, you are God. <laughs> so why are you telling this dude <laughs> that nobody's good but God when we know you are God? At least you could have said, why, thank you. I am a good teacher. That's what I would I would have reposted his comment. <laughs> Jesus obviously can't take a compliment because this dude has worshiped and says, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Why are you calling me good? Ain't nobody good but God. Jesus, what's wrong with you? <laughs> Nothing's wrong with him. Everything's wrong with this rich young ruler because Jesus refused to accept his definition of what good is. This man, because he's coming talking about what must I do, has lived his entire life by some moral code and thinks that you are validated and accepted by what you do. He has a definition of what good is, and Jesus says, I refuse to be defined by your level of good. You think I'm just another teacher. You think I'm just a good rabbi, but I am so much more than that. I am a king, and I must be approached as a king. And since your approach is wrong, let me help you and change your definition of what good is because you don't know what's good. Oh, can I tell you the problem with the rich young ruler is the problem with us. Because he's a ruler. <laughs> he's a rich, young ruler. And his problem is our problem. 
because most of us go through life just like him, measuring our definition of what good is. That is generally comparing ourselves to other people. Don't you do it? You define your goodness off of somebody else's goodness. Like, are you saved? I mean, yeah. Are you sure you live in holy? I mean, I mean, yeah. I mean, I ain't killed nobody. <laughs> Humanity is constantly comparing ourselves to other people's goodness. This is what blows my mind about what we do. You can have somebody doing the most vile, evil, perverted thing, and they'll just find somebody that's doing something way more perverted and way more jacked up than them, and they'll just compare their goodness to them. I mean, yeah. I mean, yeah, I took six shots, but I mean, I didn't take 50 like him. I mean, yeah, I've slept with a lot of people, but I ain't slept as much as she had. Isn't it funny how humans compare our goodness to other people's goodness, and we're constantly measuring our goodness to other people's goodness, but how many of you know when you face the throne room of God, he is not going to compare your goodness to your neighbor's goodness, or to your cousin's goodness, or to your brother or sister's goodness. You are compared to the goodness of God, to his standard, to his holiness that is so far above you that is so righteous that you can't even reach it and that's why I thank God for Jesus because I know that my goodness and my holiness will never measure up to his and that's why Jesus had to come and pay the price on the cross so whenever God looks at me he sure don't look at my record he looks at the perfect record of Jesus oh thank you God but you don't compare my goodness other people's goodness and many of us are messed up right now because you're comparing the standard to other people instead of the standard to our holy God whose holiness is so above you that you needed him to die as you to bridge the gap and the chasm so he said why are you calling me good nobody's good but God and he asked uh, well then what must I do to inherit eternal life. You know why he's asking what must he do? It's because religion always asks that question. Tell me what do I got to do? How can I earn grace? How many services do I got to come to? How many, how many scriptures I got to read? I just want to know that I'm good. And some of you even in this room and watching online, there is a gnawing in your soul. And you just want to know, just like this rich young ruler, am I good? What else? I'll do it. Just tell me what to do. And I hate to be the bearer of the bad news of the good news. Is that there's nothing you can do. You cannot earn a free gift, which is called grace. There's nothing you can do to inherit eternal life. You just got to receive it. But if you constantly live your life thinking that it's your effort and your works and what you do, you're always going to be disappointed. He says, uh, you know the commandments, don't you? You're all about what to do. You know the commandments. Thou shalt not murder. Thou shalt not commit adultery. Shall not steal. Honor your father and mother. It's interesting that Jesus lists all the relational components of the law. The relational components, because the law is divided 
between my relationship with God first and my relationship with other people. But if you don't get the first part right, you'll never get the second part right. And he lists all the components that deal with our relationships with other people. He says, you know the law, just do that. And this arrogant, rich dude says, well, I've kept all those since my youth. This is where Jesus messes me up. Because Jesus, you know, we all know. No, you haven't. He must have missed the Sermon on the Mount. Yeah, you might not have killed anybody, but you've had hate in your heart towards somebody. Yeah, you may, maybe you never committed adultery, but you've looked at a woman with lust before. So quit, quit judging the externals when it's not just the externals, it's the internal. And if I was Jesus, I would have blasted the dude. No, you haven't. He said, all these I've kept through, through, since my youth. Jesus didn't blast him. And you need to know that it's the heart of your father not to blast you. Matter of fact, after he makes that asinine, idiotic, moronic statement, the next verse says, Jesus looked at him with love. I wish you could see the heavenly father looking at you in the midst of your mistakes in the midst of the dumb stuff you said, yet he still looks at you with love. He looks at you the way I look at Remy when she was in the pantry one day. And I said, Remy, I know you're not in that pantry eating the Oreos. Daddy, I'm not. And I opened the pantry door and she's smiling and chocolate is all <laughs> in her nose and the side of her teeth. And I looked at her with love. I still said, Remy, you're being disobedient and disciplined because I'm not trying to raise an axe murderer. <laughs> but I almost had to turn my face and not laugh because even in the midst of her mess up, like, you are the cutest little thing. Can you see him looking at the rich young girl? You are so cute. Bless your heart. <laughs> Since your youth, wow. I should worship you. All these I've kept since my youth. He says, okay, one thing you lack. You can almost see him going, oh, finally my soul's going to have peace. Oh, finally I can know I'm good. He just said, I only lack one thing. Ooh. All right, give it to me. Sell everything that you have. Give it to the poor. And then you'll have treasure in heaven. And then gives them this invitation, come follow me. Do you know how many people in the Bible got a personal invitation to be a disciple of Jesus? Not a whole lot. Can you imagine getting an invitation for the greatest internship with the creator of the universe? Look at the final promise. 
He said, sell everything you have, give it to the poor. You're going to have treasure in heaven. Your future is secure. But right now, you're going to walk with me wherever I go. You're going to be a part of the intimate 12. You're going to see things that aren't even written in the Bible. Don't forget how John concludes his gospel. He said, these are just some of the things that Jesus did when he was on earth. But if I wrote everything that he did, the world could not contain the books of the goodness of God. That means there's some things that aren't even in the Bible that Jesus did and I can't wait till I get to heaven and he just starts sharing all the different things and miracles and signs and wonders you would have got a front row seat bro but he he rejected an opportunity to follow him why because Jesus spoke to his one thing and I don't care who you are. I don't care how long you've been walking with the Lord. All of us have a one thing. Some of us have several. But if you know your heart, you know how it is so quick to form idols. And there seems to be one thing that fights against our adoration and our affection of him. And this was this man's possessions. You want to know why it's important to talk about money? Because money, more than anything else, has the tendency to do that to us. Isn't it crazy? This man thought he had possessions, but he didn't. His possessions had him. And he didn't even know it until Jesus said, go sell all you have and give it to the poor. I'd like to think if that was me, and he said, sell everything you have. I'd like to think I would have been like, stay right here. Jesus, I don't even got time to sell it. Here it is right here. It's all my possessions. I'm going to give it to you right now. You can take all of this right here. Are you kidding me? I'm going to get to be with you and walk on water. I'm going to get to see the supernatural. I'm going to get to walk with you. I'm going to get to be beside you. Here it is. Here it is. Sign me up. I, I like to think I would have done it. Let's be honest. God will constantly check your heart for your one thing. The Bible says this man walked away bitterly and his face fell. It says he was sad. The translation of sad is a weak translation. A better translation is he grieved. He grieved at the thought of being separated from his one thing. The only other time we see that word grieved, coincidentally, is when Jesus was in the Garden of Gethsemane. And he's sweating blood. And he says, my heart is sorrowful unto death. It's the same word for the sorrow this man felt as he walked away because he couldn't let go of his possessions. That means the same way that Jesus could not bear the thought of being separated from his father so much that he's sweating blood because he had such an intimate connection, that's how much of a connection this man had to his stuff. And he didn't even know it until God asked the question and put a demand. What should we 
be like. I think we should be like the wise men. Look at what they did in verse number 11. It tells us, can we look at it again? I'm, I'm done. We're landing the plane. I promise nobody move. Nobody get hurt. It says, in going into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell down and worshiped him. In the previous verse, they didn't approach Jesus as a good teacher. You know what the first word out of the wise men's mouth was? Where is the king of the Jews? We've come to worship the king of the Jews. I told you how you approach him determines what you get from him. How many know the wise men did not approach Jesus as a good teacher? They didn't approach Jesus as a life coach. They didn't approach Jesus as just an addition to their life. They said, no, 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 no. The first time you hear the wise men speak, the first thing out of their mouths is we have traveled far to worship the king of kings. And I'm telling you, if you ever want to see the blessing of God in your life, you better stop approaching him just as a good teacher. You better fall down on your knees and worship him because you know he's the king. And if he's the king, that means your life is his. Everything you own is his. And anything he asks for, he must get it. But watch it. They approached him as king and worshiped him as king. And don't forget he's a baby. So he didn't even ask for nothing. He said, yeah. Isn't it crazy that because they saw him as king and because they worshiped him first, hear me, he wants you more than anything. Without anybody trying to manipulate, without anybody telling them they should do it, after they worshiped, because they saw him as king, they brought gold frankincense and myrrh who gives a baby gold frankincense and myrrh this is wasteful what is he gonna do drool on it it seemed wasteful to other people but when you see him as king when you adore him they thought it not robbery to bring gifts to the king you know what messed me up? It's about to mess you up. It's, uh, we've been, we've been singing another song besides Mariah Carey's. All I want for Christmas is you. Sometimes songs will mess you up. We've been singing songs like We Three Kings. You ever heard that Christmas song? We three kings. We've been looking at nativity scenes for years, and you always see Mary, Joseph, baby Jesus, the donkey. And how many wise men? Three. Do you know, nowhere in your Bible does it say there were three wise men? Nowhere. Read it when you get to the crib. You will not find any scripture that lets you know there were three wise men. Some of y'all been shouting about three wise men and tearing up at the nativity scene, and it's wrong. We have no scriptural evidence that there were three. Some of y'all looking at me confused. Read Matthew chapter, Matthew chapter 2 when you get to the crib. 
We don't know there was three. It says there were some. It says they. You know why we make an assumption that there was three? Because there was three gifts. It could have been two. It could have been 50. Maybe it's a whole entourage. But we make an assumption because we think surely in the presence of a king, each one of them brought one thing. But we don't know how many it was. We do know that they brought the king treasure because he had their heart. And when he has your heart, whatever the one thing is he asks you for, as painful as it might be, if he truly has your heart, because he's the king, you will give it to him. My prayer for our church, my prayer for me, that no matter what the thing is that he's asking for, God, don't let my heart be so attached to it that I'd rather have it instead of you. Don't let me be like the rich young ruler who walked away bitterly. He walked away from the treasure that was in front of him to go to the things that he thought would fulfill him. I want to be like the wise man who view him as king and say all that I have is his. We would like to thank you for being a part of our social global family. Please head to our website socialdallas.online and see the many ways you can stay connected with us from around the world.